Aren't you glad you came to church today? Isn't it good to sing his praises together? And it's good to look out and see so many of you here. And, and we just don't take that for granted anymore, the opportunity to come and to sing and to hear God's Word. And uh, those of you joining us online, we're so glad that you have found us. If you're listening to this at some point in the future, uh, just we believe that God is a God who speaks. He speaks to us. He has things to say to us through His Word, through His Spirit, through prayer. And so we're excited to dig into that. Uh, Today we're continuing a series titled, The Blessings of Wisdom. The Blessings of Wisdom. And we'll be looking at the Old Testament book of Proverbs, specifically chapter 3. And a section at the beginning, the first half or so of Proverbs chapter 3 seems to encompass many aspects of life um, and, and does so in a way that really exhorts us to pursue God's wisdom and apply God's wisdom to every aspect of our lives. And so uh, we, we see uh, last week we began this series with a message titled, An Invitation to abundance, that God wants us to experience abundance in every aspect of our lives. And so the structure that we see here, and we'll read this passage again, is an exhortation and then a, an outcome. And you might say a promise or, or an expected outcome if we do that. And so we'll kind of walk through those over these next couple of weeks. And, and we'll see that Proverbs as a whole is a collection of wise sayings. That's probably the best way to translate that word proverb or to explain that word proverb, it's a wise saying. And so, so God, through His providence, through, uh, through Solomon, sorry, I was thinking Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, collected these wise sayings and put them together in a book. And last week I challenged many of you, uh, if you weren't already engaged in daily Bible reading, or if you were and were willing to do a little extra credit, to begin reading a chapter of Proverbs every day. And there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and so that carry you through a month. And if you get to the end and you're still not the wisest person in the world, you can start over. You can change translations. You can ask God to speak to you each day and say, what is there in your word today that's going to speak into a situation or into a relationship or into a circumstance and allow God's word to speak to you in that way? And we noted last week that especially the first nine chapters or so, there's a frequent address to my son. And sometimes that's specifically from a father, sometimes that's specifically from a mother, sometimes it's just generally from from parent to child. Um, But I wanted to encourage you to, to think of this also, as I was thinking about this this week, this is really our Heavenly Father saying to every one of us, my child, apply yourself to wisdom. Make it a part of your life. Seek to grow in my wisdom. Seek to grow in my understanding. And it will guide you, and it will instruct you, and it will bless you. That's what we're focused on today, is the blessings of wisdom. And particularly today, we're going to be looking at blessed relationships. In verse 3 and 4, we see relationships kind of take the central focus, and we're going to look at how applying God's wisdom to our lives will bless our relationships. And I'll give you a little, you know, precursor here. I was thinking about this. It's important to understand that these wise sayings, these proverbs, are not hard and fast rules. It's not, if you do this, this will happen. And unfortunately, we live in a fallen world where there are other people that have free will, and, and sometimes we do exactly everything that it says, and somebody else 
does not receive that or does not reciprocate that or does not respond in kind. And so it's important to understand these are general principles that do apply the vast majority of the time, but don't walk out of here and say, oh, it's all just a bunch of hooey because I did what it said and it didn't happen the way it said it would happen. And so we'll dive into that a little bit deeper as we go, but I want to read verses 1 through 12 of Proverbs chapter 3. You can grab a Bible um, from a seat in front of you. You can open this up on a on an iPad or an iPhone or some other device, or you can just look at the screens and we'll have these uh, words. But these will be good words to, to hear frequently and to commit almost to memory and understand this structure of exhortation and then expected outcome. So he begins, my son, my daughter, my child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So there's an exhortation and then an expected outcome. That pattern repeats itself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Then he moves to finances. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, my daughter, my child, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And so last week we, we looked at verses 1 and 2 and 11 and 12 and how they sort of form bookends. Today I want to look at verses 3 and 4. And particularly in verse 3, a threefold exhortation. There's three commands, basically, or three exhortations that we see that, that are wise actions. These are, if you want to be wise, this is what you do in verse 3. And then verse 4 is an expected outcome, something that we can expect as a result of doing that. So in verse 3, we see three things. The first phrase is, let love and faithfulness never leave you. And love and faithfulness are not arbitrary words there. They're very important words, and they have great significance if we look back in Scripture, if we look back in the ways that God has revealed Himself to His people. Love and faithfulness are a very powerful combination. Specifically, in Exodus 34, God reveals Himself, reveals His character and His nature to Moses, and by extension to the people of Israel, to His chosen people. And He introduces Himself in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 34. Moses has come back to Sinai. So He went up on Mount Sinai. Many of you have heard this, or you saw the Charlton Heston movie. And they let Him out of Egypt, and then they went to Sinai, and He received the Ten Commandments. But He came down, and what did He find when He came down with the Ten Commandments? There was idolatry. There was all kinds of horrible things happening while He had been up there. And He was so distraught that He threw those Ten Commandments down, and they shattered, right? And so in Exodus 34, He goes back up. God calls Him back up and creates two new tablets. And as a part of that, he says, I'm going to pass by you, Moses. And as he does in verse 6, we we read these words, as he, God, passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, literally Yahweh, Yahweh. He's introducing himself. I am that I am. I am God. I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, 
And catch this last phrase, and abounding in love and faithfulness. When God chooses to reveal himself to his people, to his prophet Moses, who will then, this is the God that we serve, this is the God that we're following, this is the God that's making a covenant with us. He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and he is abounding, full to the brim of love and faithfulness. And that's the God that we are called into service. That's the God that we are to follow. And so that combination of love and faithfulness is worth looking into. Love is not just like, I love pizza, okay? We've overused and sort of dumbed down that word to the point that it kind of mostly means I really like in our culture. You know, if we don't want to say, well, I just like this, I love it. That's not the kind of love that we're talking about here, okay? This is the Hebrew word hesed. It speaks of God's perfect, unconditional love to us. It's literally kind of a combination of goodness and kindness. And I think that's also insightful because goodness has to do with the motivation. God's motivations towards us are always good. And His actions towards us are always kind. We see that most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, that He was not willing for us to perish apart from Him, but He sent a Redeemer to walk among us and to redeem us. He is good internally, and He is kind. And we are instructed to have that same love alive in us, that it would motivate us to do good things internally, and that kindness would be the result. And kindness has been defined as loaning others your strength instead of reminding them of their weakness. And so when we talk about letting love never leave us, it motivates us internally and it externally expresses itself in kindness. So we see that in God's perfect unconditional love towards us and we see that in our willingness to allow that love to flow through us into the lives of others. But it's not just love, it's also faithfulness. And I think faithfulness is also a, a very significant word, significant concept. Here it would mean truth, reliability, stability, integrity. These are all elements of faithfulness, that we are reliable, we are stable in our relationships with other people, and that we receive that from God, and we allow that to move through us into our relationships with other people. So basically saying when we say, let love and faithfulness never leave you, it's basically saying be kind, be truthful, be good, be honest, be reliable, and be consistent in those things. That's what it would mean to let love and faithfulness never leave you. But it goes beyond that and creates a little word picture in the next phrase. And we see him say, bind them around your neck. Bind love and faithfulness around your neck. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, that's kind of a word picture. And uh, Kaya Guffin, Sandy's daughter, was around this week. And so I asked, would you guys make me uh, a necklace of love and faithfulness that I could put around my neck to kind of illustrate this principle. And so they knocked it out of the park and did a really nice job creating this little necklace of love and faithfulness and put the beads on and everything else. And if I'm wearing this, you're going to see it immediately, aren't you? If, if I had been wearing this when you walked in, you'd have been like, what's with the love and faithfulness, Pastor Mark? It would be hard to miss, correct? And it would be hard for me to forget that I have this on because people will be drawn to it. They would see it. I think that's what the wisdom of God is saying here is that love and faithfulness, the kind of love and the kind of faithfulness we just talked about, should be immediately recognizable in our lives. Just like this 
necklace that I'm wearing or the shirt that I'm wearing, that you would see it, you would recognize it. In other places in the New Testament, Paul says, clothe yourselves with kindness, compassion, humility, patience, and over all these things put on love. And so there should be an immediately recognizable in our nature, in our character, in the actions, in the interactions that we have towards other people, that love and faithfulness would be bound around our neck. And it would be immediately recognizable, not only to all of you, but I'm not going to be able to go to a mirror and not say, oh yeah, that's right, i got love and faithfulness bound around my neck. It's there permanently. And if there was any doubt that this was supposed to be not just external, but internal, he adds the third phrase, write them on the tablet of your heart. And I love how that tablet of your heart idea points back not only to Proverbs verse 1, where it says, keep my commands in your heart, but it points back to Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the, the Ten Commandments, the law on the tablets of stone, that there's a tablet of our hearts. And so while this is externally recognizable, he's saying don't just be like the Pharisees were known to be, where you have the external appearance, but inwardly Jesus said they were filled with dead men's bones, that there, there wasn't an internal motivator of love and faithfulness. And so he's saying bind it around your neck so everybody can see it and so you don't forget that it's there, but also write it on the tablet of your heart, that it would internally motivate and guide your attitudes and your actions, that it wouldn't just be an external thing, that it would be an internal thing. And think about this, how do you write on a tablet? You carve it in. There's an imprint there. It takes time. It's meant to be permanent and eternal, not temporary or fleeting. There's a repetition that takes place. So this isn't something that just happens overnight. This is something that we get trained in, that we learn, and that it becomes a deeper and deeper motivator. So all of that is wrapped up in those three phrases, that we would let love and faithfulness never leave us, that we would bind them around our neck, and that we would write them on the tablet of our heart. So we'd be internally motivated, it'd be externally obvious, and it would be consistent. Not something that comes and goes, but let it never leave you. All of that then leads into verse 4, where we get the outcome, the result. If we do this, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. How many of you would like to have favor and a good name in the sight of God and man? One, two, three. Okay, now the hands are going up. I realize, oh yeah, that's right. This is, he's asking a question. Yeah, we want to have that. We want to have a vertical relationship with God that experiences His favor, His blessing, His graciousness. That's essentially what favor would be, to be looked upon fondly or with affection, to receive mercy and compassion that He is known for, and to be held in positive regard. But we don't just want that with God. We want that with people, right? And we want a good name. We want a good reputation. We want good standing with our peers, to be known for prudence and for insight and for character and integrity, that if we let love and faithfulness never leave us, if we bind them around our neck, if we write them on the tablet of our hearts, God's Word is saying then you're going to experience favor and a good name with God in our vertical relationship with Him and with people in our horizontal relationships. And really this makes sense, doesn't it? Like if that's what you're immediately recognized as being, as loving and faithful then 
if that's the first thing people see, then you would imagine that good things would flow out of that, that positive things would flow from that, that we would reap what we sow. And if we sow love and faithfulness, then it would come back to us. And by and large, that is absolutely the case. It's always the case with God because He is faithful and He is loving and He leads the way in that. And it's by and large, that's what we can expect if we let love and faithfulness never leave us and we interact and with other people, we'll find that the vast majority will reciprocate that, especially in the fellowship of believers. And we have to understand, this was first written to a nation that had one God. It was a a monotheistic cultural society, a theocracy. It was what it was intended to be, that God would be the king and that everybody would follow and serve God. And so when Solomon writes this to the people of Israel, he's writing it to a nation that is pretty homogenous faith-wise. And that's not the case so much today, is it? We, we, we encounter indifference and we encounter hostility sometimes in a culture that is polytheistic, that is pagan in many ways, or is completely indifferent to the things of God. And so even when we let love and faithfulness never leave us and we bind it on our necks and we write it on the tablets of our hearts, some people are going to be indifferent to that. Some people are going to be hostile towards that. And so it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be really hard. And it won't always work out with people. Because some will take advantage, on one hand, of our love and faithfulness. Here's a sucker I can ring out for everything that they're worth. Or they'll be broken or far from God in some way to the point that they respond to that. They feel threatened by that love, that faithfulness. They they respond with hostility towards that, or they actually come out against it. So we have to understand the order. This always works out with God. When we seek to let love and faithfulness never leave us, we will be blessed in our vertical relationship with God, which is the most important relationship in our lives. And we can be blessed in that to the point that His love and faithfulness flows through us into our relationships with others, whether they reciprocate or not. And so our bottom line today is that blessed relationships grow in the soil of love and faithfulness. That's, that's what I believe Solomon was wanting to instruct. That's what I believe God is wanting to say to us, that blessed relationships, if you want your relationships to be blessed, plant them in the soil of love and faithfulness. And our vertical relationship with God will always grow, will always flourish when we approach Him with the same love and faithfulness that He has extended to us. And our horizontal relationships, especially in the fellowship of the church and with like-minded believers, will flourish as we interact with each other in love and faithfulness. And imagine a world where everybody let love and faithfulness never leave them bound it around their neck, wrote it on the tablet of their heart. That's heaven, right? That's, that's where everybody is treating everybody with love and faithfulness, with kindness and goodness, and with consistency and stability. And that's the picture of heaven that we're called to, and yet we find ourselves living in a fallen world. So what are we to do with that? Well, I believe there was one once, a man, who did this perfectly, who did Proverbs 3.3 perfectly. He never let love and faithfulness leave him. He bound it around his neck. He wrote it on the tablet of his heart. He was love and faithfulness personified. 
And Scripture tells us some interesting things about this man. In John's Gospel, in chapter 1, he says the Word, which he's talking about Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth sounds an awful lot like love and faithfulness, doesn't it? That grace is the New Testament representation of God's unmerited, unconditional love towards us. And truth is faithfulness. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And just a few verses later, John says this about Him. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth, love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So we have an example. And we see Luke making sure that we understand how this played out in Jesus' life. At the very end of his introduction in the first two chapters, in Luke 2.52, he says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So John introduces him coming onto the scene as full of love and faithfulness, full of grace and truth. And Luke connects the dots that he grew into a man and he grew in favor with God and man. And so we see this perfect representation of Jesus Christ as Psalm or in Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 lived out in front of us. And so my question is, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know this man who did this perfectly? I'm not just saying, do you know about him? Because one of the beautiful things about the the gospel is that Jesus came to be the best and purest example of living a life of love and faithfulness. And he didn't just come so that there would be words on a page somewhere that we could read and sort of be instructed. He came and lived among us and walked among us and was the Word made flesh and showed us exactly how to do this, even in situations where people were nailing him to a cross. He was so full to the brim of grace and truth, so full of love and faithfulness, that some of his last words were, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. That's a pretty good example of living a life of love and faithfulness. That's a really good example of Proverbs 3.3. But he didn't just come to give us an example. He sent his spirit to live within us and to empower us to do these things through a relationship with him. He didn't send us a book. He didn't send us a memo. God sent us his son. And then he sent us his spirit. And he lives within us and he will show us through his word, through prayer, through his Holy Spirit, how to live like Jesus did. That's called discipleship. That's called becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, learning to live my life as he would if he were me. Learning to live my life as he would if he were me. That's the best definition of discipleship I've ever learned. That's what Jesus calls us to. That's what Proverbs 3.3 is telling us. And so I always have this interaction, and it always comes to mind when I see that definition. And as I think through applying these things to our lives is the old, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That phrase, those bracelets, you saw it on custom license plates and all over the place for a while, and then kind of faded away, but it's a really powerful question, because if you want want to live like Jesus, you start by asking that question. When you find yourself in a circumstance, in a broken relationship, in a difficult situation, what would Jesus do? Ask the question. 
And then dig into Scripture, dig into prayer, dig into Bible study, dig into people who have gone before you and who are farther down the line in faith than you and ask the question, what did Jesus do? Not just what would Jesus do. Now we want to learn what did Jesus do? And then do what Jesus did. Two questions, one declarative. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Then do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. He said in John 10, when he said, I came to give them life and life more abundant, in that same section, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They won't follow another. We learn to hear his voice. We learn what he did and we do what he did. And what he did was live a life of love and faithfulness. So if you want blessed relationships, do what Jesus did. Live a life of love and faithfulness. Let it never leave you. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. And I want you to think about, I want you to think about relationships in your life. Think about your marriage. Think about your parenting relationship. Whether you have little kids or teenage kids or adult children. Is love and faithfulness the drumbeat of those relationships? Think about relationships with other family members and with neighbors and coworkers and friends. Especially think about some relationships that are a little rocky right now. And evaluate, is love and faithfulness immediately recognizable in my life in that relationship? And if the answer is no, then start asking God to cultivate love and faithfulness. And recognize there are some bad people out there. And there are some people that we need to be careful with. But we don't need to stop being loving. We don't need to stop being faithful. We don't need to be burned by a few bad people that we withdraw and pull away or think everybody's that way or put people into groups and classes. We've got to be careful with these things. We want to let love and faithfulness be the drumbeat for our lives. Because blessed relationships grow in the soil of love and faithfulness. And so let that thought guide us. Let us pray as we prepare to close. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn from your word. Thank you that you care so much about our relationships, that you, that you instruct us, that you teach us, that you go way beyond all of that and send us a perfect example that we can follow. Lord, help us to have a hunger and a thirst to follow Christ's example, knowing that it may lead us to a cross, knowing that it may lead us to sacrifice. Give us the strength to do that, even when it's hard. And help us to enjoy the fruit of blessed relationships. Help us to cultivate more love, more faithfulness in our own lives, that these blessed relationships would result. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that we can count on your love and your faithfulness towards us. We thank you and praise you that that when we invest in that relationship, it grows, it flourishes. Help us to have a hunger and a thirst to do just that. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.